0: This episode is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. You can sign up for a monthly or yearly novel-level subscription, and the first 14 days are free. You'll get a wish list to upcoming releases that you're dying to read. That means you can make the wish list from our awesome new release index, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, enter to win swag. The new release index is curated by none other than Liberty. It will help you keep track of the most exciting, exciting upcoming books. So come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting for you. Go to bookriot.com/insiders to find out more.
1: You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 171. And today we are talking about books being released on August 14th, 2018 and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here is Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. I was trying to think of something to say, like, besides fellow well redhead" or something, and I got nothing. I, I was like... Book bomb from another mom. I don't I don't know. <laughs> like I had nothing. So I just didn't.
0: I'll take it. We've been, well, redheads, <laughs> we've been bookish ginger life mates. Yeah. Um we'll just I, have to see what I comes stalled. next. <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. It's Saturday morning. Yes. We're like out of our groove. Yeah. Um I'm having a Saturday morning podcasting extravaganza. I already recorded a show with Jeff, so like who even knows if I can still make words? All right. It's it's gonna be an adventure. <laughs> you <laughs> Before we get into the show, I do want to remind our listeners that in honor of the upcoming third season of Book Riot's Recommended podcast, we're giving away 16 of the books that are featured on the show. Recommended features interesting people from the book world talking about their favorite books. This giveaway includes books both written by and recommended by some of the authors who have guested on the show. For a full prize list and to enter to win, which you should, visit Book Riot. Dot com slash recommended three that's the number three BookRiot.com slash recommended three to enter to win 16 of the books featured on the recommended podcast so far and if you like this show and like you know very charming people talking about the books they love then you will enjoy recommended give that a listen
1: awesome yes ma'am so so here we are speaking of awesome there we go. Here's my first book, which I could talk about the entire half an hour oh, to an hour. Yeah, that's so great. I'm just I'm gonna try and rein it in, but I don't know if I can do it. My first pick today is called Severance by Ling Ma, and it is a satirical dystopian novel about America and immigration and the apocalypse and millennials. It's full of all kinds of stuff. It's so fantastic. The main character is named Candace. She moved here to the States from China when she was nine with her parents. Her father took a job. Um, They were living the American dream. Uh, She's really taken with New York City. She's always wanted to live there, so when she's older, she moves to the city. Uh, She goes back and forth, like it talks about when she was younger, but now, at this time, you know, she's 20-something, and she's an orphan. Her parents have both passed away. She's sort of living off the money that they left her, but she also has a job that she doesn't really care all that much about. She works for a publisher that outsources complicated printing jobs to other countries. Um, Her specialty is Bibles. She works in doing all kinds of fancy different Bibles. She's working on a Bible right now specifically for teens that has gemstones on it, and she's dealing with that. Um, Her booty call is a professor who is writing a book about millennials and how they're ruining the world. And... She's just sort of like doesn't really care about much, she isn't really interested in things. Um, her boyfriend has broken up with her, and there's something called the Shen flu, which is uh, just starting to hit the states. It came over from China, it's this like fungal infection. People get it, and then they sort of become uninterested in anything, eating, doing like anything that normally yeah. they become these sort of like zombies, but not zombies because. They don't try to attack anybody. They're not eating anybody. They just sort of go about their, like, a routine from their life. They're really interested in, like, the movies that they loved when they were young. And they're really interested in, like, nostalgia. Like, one woman just sets the table for her family. And they all sit there and pretend to eat. And then she clears the table and then sets the table. And they're called the fevered, these people that are just, like, living this old life. But eventually, they'll starve to death because they're not doing anything. Um, And so, uh, Candace ends up... In a gang of survivors. She's sort of like not interested in what's going on in the world and sort of tunes out and at the like at the last minute realizes, hey this horrible thing is sweeping the nation and you know she's one of the the last alive so or like you know not fevered. So she joins up with this gang of survivors which is sort of like a it pokes fun at the survivor group trope um, that's led by this holy roller named Bob. <laughs> who makes them say grace and, like, does all this stuff. He leads them in this, they go into, like, a home to look for supplies, but before they go in, he, like, leads them in this chant that's, like, sung to the tune of a shin song. It's, like, it's very silly. And so they go into these homes, they're getting supplies for something that they call the facility that they're building, and they, if there are fevered people still living in there, they put them out of their misery and they're gathering up stuff that they're going to need for this big place called The Facility. Um, It reminded me a lot of You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine by Alexandra Kleeman, which was you loved that book. Oh my goodness, I still love that book so much. Um, It's sort of like about a disaffected young woman who's suddenly awake in the world, you know, now that its wheels are coming off. It's just really smart and really funny and really biting. And, you know, it's a dystopia, but it's like science fiction, like Margaret Atwood is science fiction, or David Mitchell, or, you know, it's not... It's, it's more like literary fiction, and it's just so, so good. Again, it's called Severance, and it's by Ling Ma.
0: Whew. Well, I had that on my list. I'm glad you got to it. It sounds right up your alley.
1: It's so good! Awesome. Uh,
0: my first pick this week is a book that came out last week. It's called She Begat This, 20 Years of the Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Joan Morgan, which you were so nice to bring me a copy of when we hung out in Portland a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Miseducation of Lauren Hill is my favorite album of... All time. I have been listening to it for 20 years. Um, I was in high school when it came out and remember just it rocking my world. And I've known that this was a significant work, Um, not only in my personal music listening that it's very rare that an album holds up for 20 years, um, but that it's very significant in music and hip-hop culture. Joan Morgan is an award-winning feminist author and journalist and music critic, and she is the perfect person to write this book that moves between essentially like a scholarly examination of exactly how just... Paradigm shifting, the miseducation of Lauryn Hill was, and what it meant in the culture at nineteen in nineteen ninety eight when it came out, and what it has meant for hip hop culture over the last twenty years. There is this real grounding in context because it's easy, I think, now to listen to this album and be able to recognize like the level of, for lack of a better term, like the 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 level or the like. Kind the brand of wokeness that shows up in miseducation is really different from the brand of wokeness that you see in sort of progressive feminist hip hop now. But it was really, really groundbreaking in 1998, and Lauren Hill was 22 years old when she wrote it, which is just mind blowing. And that she wrote the whole thing, which distinguished her at the time from other female MCs like Foxy Brown and Little Kim. Um, the look here is at like how this happened that a 22 year old dark skinned black woman with natural hair ended up on the cover of Harper's Bazaar at a time when fashion magazines and general like the quote unquote mainstream media didn't believe that black artists or black figures sold magazines she was on the cover of Time in 1999 and she was the first black artist in the decade of the 90s the first black musician in the decade of the 90s to make the cover there were 17 black people out of 525 covers in that decade. Just really remarkable what she how she was able to change hip hop, but also change the way that broader US culture engaged with hip hop and understood it. Um, there is really fascinating stuff about like that Lauren Hill in her music and her personal style and fashion could move between soul and a military look and hip hop and rap. And you can just draw like if you've been listening to Janelle Monae this year, like I have, you can draw lines straight from the miseducation to dirty computer. Um, I had the awesome joy of seeing Janelle Monae in concert a couple of weeks ago and was thinking about like, there are just really specific parts of her performance and her presentation and the music that she writes and the way that it's, uh, the, the way that people engage with it and receive it that you don't get if you've never had, that we, if we never had Lauryn Hill. I think we don't have Beyonce's Lemonade album if we had never had the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. And Joan Morgan just dives into all of that. Um, it's not a fawning work of praise. Like this is a critical look at, uh, critical in the term of, in the usage of like you know literary criticism or music criticism. Not just all negative, but um, she takes a critical eye to what this album was, what it did at the time, what it still tells us about hip hop um, and Lauren Hill herself, who has not been a figure without sort of her own public problems uh, and received. She's been on the receiving end of uh, some pretty interesting criticism. So this is a real, uh, I think, full-throated approach uh, to presenting what this just landmark album in hip hop was 20 years ago and, and what it still is. I have loved it. Um, Joan Morgan brings in not just her own perspective, but quotes and thoughts from other music critics, from other feminist writers, from people who worked in music at the time, people who worked in the fashion industry or in journalism, talking about their experiences and understanding of the ways that Lauren Hill changed the landscape. Um, it's it has been wonderful to get additional context and grounding for this work of art that has been really meaningful in my life and to see on a deeper level and understand the ways that uh, it changed hip-hop culture and created new opportunities especially for black women artists that Lauren Hill's a precursor basically to black girl magic and it's amazing to to see that and to start to understand it a little bit more as someone who is from outside that culture um, I just couldn't be more impressed with this little book or happier that it exists Um, I would love to read a book like this about every album that I've ever loved it's She Begat This 20 Years of the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill by Joan Morgan
1: I am embarrassed to say that I have never listened to that album so that book showed up at my house a couple weeks ago and I opened it and it was like you're not the well redhead I want this is not (laughs) this is not my wheelhouse wrong wheelhouse so that's why I gave it to you because I was like this is for Rebecca this is not for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it found a very warm
0: home, yes. uh, here yes. with me. I will say, I would, I don't have any idea what it would be like to listen to the Miseducation for the first time now. Yeah, like what that experience would be like, um, be if you're steeped in 2018 music culture. But one of the most important works of art in my life, um, and it was really wonderful, like to get to read a book specifically about that.
1: Well, let me tell you about another book, one of today's sponsors. It is Cherry by Nico Walker, and it's coming to us from Alfred A. Knopf, and it's out now. It is This book was hammered out on a typewriter. Cherry is a breakneck-paced debut novel about love, war, bank robberies, and heroin. It takes place in Cleveland in 2003. A young man falls hard in love and gets married, just before flunking out of school and joining the Army. But he's unprepared for the grisly reality that awaits him as an army medic. When he returns from Iraq, his PTSD is profound, and the drugs on the street have changed. Hooked on heroin, desperate for a normal life, and running low on cash, he turns to the one thing he thinks he could be really good at, robbing banks. This was an August Indie Next pick. It's got tons of raves from indie booksellers. Uh, it's a gritty fiction about love, war, bank robberies, and heroin. It's a drawing comparisons to Jesus' Son, Reservoir Dogs, Full Metal Jack... Jacket, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and Generation Kill. And the reason that this book was typed out on a typewriter is because the author was in prison. Uh, Nico Walker himself came back from Iraq with severe PTSD and felt that the only thing that made him feel alive and could help it was robbing banks. So he knows what he's talking about. Uh, So this is a book unlike anything you've ever read. It's relevant, fearless, unapologetic, brutal, and unforgettable. So again, it's Cherry by Nico Walker, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right. Now, my next pick... Whew, I might need to get the tissues just to talk about it. Oh, so no. it's called Let Me Be Like Water by S.K. Perry. It's like a 200-page novel. Uh, I had had it on my list of things to check out, and then one of our friends said, I just read this book, and I cried so hard, and oh my goodness, it's so good, you have to read it. And I was like, okay. And I cried (laughs) through most of it. It It's not a lie. I don't think I've cried so much reading a book recently as this one. It's about a woman named Holly. Um, Like, nothing I'm going to tell you is a spoiler. We know these things. Her boyfriend has died. And she's, you know, adrift, and she's in pain, and she doesn't know what to do. Um, They lived in London. She's a musician. uh, He was a writer, Um, And she feels now that she's in London, she needs to leave. Like, everything reminds her of him. And so she heads off and she moves to Brighton. She likes to sit by the sea and just grieve and doesn't know what she's going to do with herself. And one day she meets an elderly man named Frank, who's, like, very funny. He can sort of tell that she needs some cheering up. He likes to do magic tricks. He carries cookies in his pockets, um, which... Sounds kind of suspicious now that I'm saying it out loud, but he's actually a very nice, harmless man and he invites her to uh, his book club. He has lost his partner. <laughs> There's a woman there who has lost her son. Uh, she finds some sort of like spirits here at this book club and she makes a new group of friends and starts, you know, living her life again. And it goes back and forth between the past when Holly with Holly and Sam and the present and sometimes in only a paragraph, sometimes in only a sentence. And it's it's not distracting at all. You can follow right along. It's sort of like you're feeling her thoughts and emotions on loss in real time because they're so brief. I don't know if I could just sit and read all of that at once. Mm. Um, it's just a tremendous exploration of loss and grief. And if you just are like, I need a good cry. Like, I need a really good cathartic cry. This is also the book to pick up. Uh, so again, it's called Let Me Be Like Water. I know it's called that now because it makes you cry so much. And it's by <laughs> S.K. Perry.
0: I'm glad that you went there. I'm not ready to <laughs> it's, cry it's that not much forever, yet. It's
1: not for Like, if you're sad, maybe it's not the book to read right now.
0: <laughs> um So my next pick is Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine by Edward Lee. This came out back in the spring. It had been on my list for a while, and I finally picked up a copy when we were in Portland at Print Bookstore a couple weeks ago, and then I devoured most of it on the flight home. Edward Lee is an award-winning chef and writer. Uh, He owns a couple of restaurants. He's based out of Louisville, Kentucky, but he grew up in Brooklyn as the son of Korean immigrant And so he has already a very cross cultural perspective. Growing up Korean in Brooklyn, and then you end up owning like a southern restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky. That itself is an interesting journey. And he has a wonderful cookbook called Smoke and Pickles. Um, Buttermilk Graffiti is 16 chapters, each of which are him taking an adventure into a different American city. Most of them are small towns, actually, looking at the evolution of a particular dish or a particular culture within. That place and to explore, like, what is this notion that we have about uh, America as a melting pot? How does our cuisine? Reflect that, and what happens when a food from one place comes to America? Because all of us who are not Native Americans are from immigrant cultures at at some point back in our history. Um, What happens when a dish comes here with immigrants and then somehow becomes part of American, quote unquote, American cuisine? what does it mean when food assimilates or doesn't assimilate and as cultures and immigrants evolve and assimilate what does it mean if we hold on to or let go of our food traditions the writing is so so lovely um a, a writer that i read several months ago talked about trying to notice the uninventable details in your life like pay attention and notice the like if you're on a morning walk pay attention and notice like the those two squirrels playing in that tree um and that that phrase, uninventable detail, is something that I kept coming back to reading Edward Lee's work here. There's just such fine attention to details of not just flavor and cooking technique, but of the people behind the dishes, of the stories that he's telling them, of what their homes and kitchens look like, of how it feels to be immersed in these different places as he travels. Um, like, There's a chapter where He's in Appalachia in West Virginia eating a dish that was brought there by Lebanese immigrants and writing about um, how you know, we think of Appalachia as just this solidly white place of um, cultures made up of white immigrants. And you can come up with all kinds of stereotypical ideas about what the food must be like there. But there's a dish brought from Lebanon that it has been so popular in Appalachia for so many generations now that, you know, p- people like working class people end their day days at the local diner either ordering like a, a burger or a hot dog or this particular dish called kibbeh and that it's been there for so long that they don't think of it as getting Lebanese food. They just think of it as their food in town. Um, a real, like That kind of really fascinating look. He goes to Dearborn, Michigan, which has the highest concentration of Muslim people in the US during Ramadan and visits a bunch of restaurants as people are breaking their fasts. He participates in the fast and tries to understand what that experience is. And then uh, experiencing the flavors of food when you've been fasting all day long is so intense and his description of that is really wonderful. It's this like Anthony Bourdain-esque interest in not just food, but the cultures and the people that make the food and what food reflects back about cultures and people. But I will say, I love Anthony Bourdain. I love his writing. Edward Lee's writing is more beautiful. This is like a writer's writer getting into uh, what food and culture mean to us and how they're intertwined. I could not have loved this book more. I would read another 16 stories about 16 American cities in an Edward Lee book every year for the rest of my life. Um, If you're interested in food and culture, you don't want to miss it. I'm sorry that I didn't read it sooner. It's Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee.
1: Because my hearing is rubbish, I thought you said his last book was called Smokin' Pickles. And I was like, you got Smoking pickles, dude. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Smoke
0: and Pickles. Yeah, I can't hear. (laughs) It might have just been me rolling right through the... I was like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Uh, Very Smoke and Pickles. Very Southern.
1: (laughs) I want to read it. Like, all these food books always sound so good, but as a vegan, you know, it's, it's harder for me to read some things in books, so... I don't know, but that one I think I'm definitely going to pick. I just picked up The Cooking Gene, and, or Cooking Gene, Ooh, which is... Ooh, The Cooking Gene is great, yeah, too. so I think I'll possibly pick this one up, too. My next pick is not related at all in any way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. It's called Sweet Little Lies, and it's by Kaz Freer. Um it's it's like the time of year. Like I know I have a thriller like every week, but it's that time of year. It's a great time to read thrillers and enjoy the mm-hmm. heat and enjoy the mystery. Um this okay, so this won the Richard and Judy contest, which is apparently their talk show hosts in England and they have yes. a contest. Um and this one it's about a young woman, Kat Kinsella. She's in her twenties, she is a detective uh, in England. And there has been a murder in her neighborhood. And it is very, very close to the pub that her father manages. Um, They think that possibly the victim's husband is responsible. But then some information comes in that links the victim to a girl who went missing in Ireland 18 years before during Kat's family's vacation. They were in this town. They had seen this girl. They had picked her up hitchhiking like her father uh, had pulled over and given her a ride one time, um, they had just been visiting uh, Kat's mother's mom, I think, and um, so this girl in this town in Ireland, 18 years before, goes missing, and Kat's older sister was friends with her, so the police come and ask them questions, and they ask her father, you know, does does he know anything about her, and he says no, He, he he's never had any, any contact with her, he doesn't have any information about her, and Kat knows that he's lying. Like, she knows that she was in the car when they picked her up. She knows that he knew this girl. So, she, but she's, like, she's nine, I think, when this happens. So, she instead, she spends the next, you know, couple of decades of her life sort of punishing him for this lie that he told. Uh, you know, she just, she can't bring herself to tell anyone, like, I, this is what I know about what my dad told you. He, he's a liar. So instead, you know, she, she acts out and she tries to break his heart as often as she can. And her father works for the mob. He runs a bar where shady things happen and he sort of just turns a blind eye to it. And, you know, that's what he does. So what's, like, the worst thing that she could possibly do to her dad, like, for a career? Become a police officer. So she's, like, you know, working on the other side of the law. Um, And like I said, so they find this body now, this new body, 18 years later. uh, It's very close to where her father works, and there's a lot of similarities. And she's beginning to worry that she kept this secret about her dad, that he must have done something to this missing girl 18 years ago. And now because she kept this secret, something has happened to this woman, and, you know, what is she going to do with that information um, and she, also, she loves her job. Like, she wants to investigate this murder. If she tells them that, you know, she knows this thing about the girl that went missing before, they're going to take her off the job. And she doesn't want that. She wants to solve it and possibly, you know, find solve the case and, but, like, also keep her job somehow. She's She has found, like, these sort of surrogate parents in the police force. Like, her boss um, reminds her of a mother figure, and her partner is an older gentleman who treats her like a daughter, and she doesn't want to lose her job. But she also wants, you know, wonders can she tell what she knows? Like, when it comes down to it, can she arrest her father for these crimes? So it's very intense. It's very, it's very um, contemporary. I, I love all the, the texting. And, like, I've, I've talked about this before. Like, I really like the use of, like, technology now in and, mm-hmm. and thrillers. So, again, it's called Sweet Little Lies. And it's by Kaz, C-A-Z, Freer.
0: All right. Now for our next sponsor. As you heard at the top of the show, support for this episode of All the Books is coming to you from Google Play. And if you didn't know before, now you do know that you can download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play. There's hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast. That's pretty rad. You can also enjoy thousands of titles a la carte. There's no subscription necessary, which does make audiobooks on Google Play different from many of the other sources of audiobooks out there in the world. There's even multi-device integration across the Google e ecosystem. So if you've got Chromecast and you have an Android phone and you want to and maybe one of those Google Home Assistant things, you can listen to your audiobooks through all of them and you know, pick up exactly where you left off. Um, Google Play sent us some free download codes very generously so we could try out the service, and I did. Uh, it was super easy to use. I downloaded a copy of Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, which I still have not brought myself to listen to. Uh, as I mentioned, I think the last time Google Play sponsored the show. But the process was really easy. The online shopping experience is very simple and intuitive they have a great selection. If you want to try an audiobook from Google Play, you can do it and get $10 off your first one because we like you. Go to g.co slash play slash all the books. That's g.co slash play slash all the books for $10 off your first Google Play audiobook. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. All right. I actually have a book that came out today now.
1: I'm glad that you got to this one because (laughs) I kept meaning to and then it expired somehow behind my back. And I, was like, I no. loved this
0: and I've actually I'm double dipping because I am also reading this book as ep, uh, research for an upcoming episode of Annotated Ooh. that I'm writing so the book is Reader Come Home, The Reading Brain in a Digital World. It's by Marianne Wolf who wrote Proust and the Squid which came out I can't believe a decade ago um, and that book looked at what we know about how the brain learns to read and how reading changes the way we think and feel this book is about how our brains and our reading abilities are changing now that we do so much digitally and it's really fascinating she gets at like is reading good for you um do we need to read actually the answer is no our brains this is like fascinating if you are new to neuroscience at all i think too that our brains were never intended to read um we (laughs) yours maybe (laughs) <laughs> well, Liberty, this is just further evidence that you're a more evolved uh, life form. <laughs> or a different, a different life form. <laughs> um, like we were our, – our brains evolved to need narrative and to tell stories. But doing that – like by making – doing it by making text and reading text on a page or a tablet or whatever was not ever what uh, – like if you looked at just evolution and guessed what humans were going to do, you wouldn't have gotten – There. Um, So our brains had to learn how to read. It's part of why we naturally evolve speech, but we don't naturally, or we naturally develop speech. We don't naturally develop reading. We have to be taught to read um, because it's not something that our brains were ever meant to do. But now that they have done it for a couple thousand years, um, it's a thing that is built into culture so essentially that we really have to know how to read in order to participate in culture. So she raises this interesting distinction of like, like reading isn't good for you in the same sense that like going to take a walk is good for you. It's not something that your body needs to do, but it's a thing you need to be able to do to function in culture. Um, and it's very, I think it's a great distinction to draw because there it can be so alarmist of like people read less. Oh my God, what does that mean? And she's looking at like, well, we need to be able to read deeply for the following reasons. And digital culture um, changes our deep reading abilities in the following way. So it's a real look at like which things we should worry about and which things we shouldn't worry about quite as much. Drawing on neuroscience and technology and philosophy. And uh, each chapter is written as a letter from her to the readers about the particular focus of that chapter. And I really just liked that structure as well. You don't need to be like a brain science nerd to get into this. It does help if you're interested in that because she definitely uses neuroscience terminology. Um, but it's really, really fascinating and worth diving into. I think especially if you have had any like alarmist panic about, oh my God, people read less, what are we supposed to do? Um, So I don't want to say too much more about it because I'm going to use it in detail on that episode of Annotated. But the book is Reader Come Home, The Reading Brain in a Digital World by Marianne Wolf.
1: I don't want to say too much about my next book because it's only 150 pages long. So right. I will just give you the gist. It's fantastic. It's called His Favorites by Kate Walbert. She wrote a short history of women, which got tons of tons of praise mm-hmm. and the sunken cathedral which i think i talked about on the show mm-hmm. which i loved this one like at 150 pages it takes place in 1981 it's about three there's three 15 year old girls joe who is the narrator and her friends carly and stephanie uh, joe and stephanie live very near a golf course uh, or on a golf course um their their families are very wealthy uh, they are just 15-year-old girls who like to goof around and steal liquor from their parents' liquor cabinets and do all kinds of silly stuff. And this one evening, um, they decide they're dancing around to an Elton John album and they're going gonna—they're getting drunk. And they decide they're going to get dressed up and they're going to go flirt maybe with some caddies at the golf club. Or maybe they'll s- steal a cart. Jo has this idea that she knows that they keep the keys under the mat on Friday nights because the guys go out early in the morning golfing. So... She decides, you know, they're gonna—they should steal a golf cart and go for a joyride. So they do. Joe crashes the cart. Stephanie is killed. So mm-hmm. it's suddenly this night of fun for these fifteen-year-olds turns into this horrible tragedy. Uh, it affects the town. Joe can't stay in this town any longer. It's too much for her. Uh, Stephanie's mother spits on her at the funeral. It's, you know, she's blamed for this because, and she knows like it was her idea. She says, you know, I was the one who said, let's go steal a golf cart. Um, so she gets a late acceptance into a boarding school and like leaves town. Um, and now she's surrounded by girls she doesn't know in a place she doesn't know. Uh, there's lots of mean girls, you know, like the hierarchy of, you know, social, you know, climbing and all that stuff. All my words are coming together not in the way that I want them (laughs) to right now. (laughs) But, like, the popular kids have already been picked is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, And she's stuck with a roommate who uh, is hated by pretty much everyone. She's a, a big opera fan and she's a geek and she's, you know, like, we read the book and we're like, there's nothing wrong with this girl. She's just a teenage girl. But, you know, the other girls are super mean to her. Um, And she meets a a teacher named Master, who everyone calls him Master. He might have sort of, like, inappropriate feelings towards students. It's told that if you, like, wear a short skirt and a low-cut top, like, you'll get better grades. Um, And he encounters her one day at a cafe and and sees her reading and and tells her that she should should apply for his uh, English class. And she's like, well, it's already full. And he's like, well, if you write... A dark secret that you've never said to anyone, you know, over the weekend, and turn it in. He's like, I'll consider you taking you for my class. So I'm not gonna tell you anything else there. It's just 150 pages about responsibility and bullying and consequences, you know, and like choices that are made when you're a teenager and how you live with those. It's got such sharp prose; it just really cuts to the heart of the story. She's a fantastic writer. So again, it's called His Favorites, and it's by Kate Walbert. All right.
0: My last one this week, I just want to mention a book that I loved last year called Guidebook to Relative Strangers by Camille Dungy is out in paperback. It came out last week. Um, Camille Dungy is a poet and a professor and she makes her living traveling around the country, giving lectures and teaching people about poetry. This is a memoir of, um, I believe it's a year, right around a year that she spends when her daughter is young, traveling, doing doing her work, traveling from place to place, teaching and talking about poetry with her daughter in tow, going to small towns, going to big universities, and exploring what it's like to be a Black woman traveling uh, the United States and around the world um, with a child and experiencing experiencing travel, not of the like vacation variety. This is not one of those like here are the glamorous places I visited vacation travel logs. It's a very grounded in someone's real experience or their daily life kind of travel log of being black, being a woman, being a mother and experiencing travel from that perspective. She goes to like this small town in Alaska that hardly ever sees a black person and um, has some expectations about what that might be like. And then it turns out to be different from some of her expectations, but that awareness of being in a place where you are different and it's obvious that you are different and the people aren't used to seeing people who look like you. Um, The writing is exactly as beautiful as you would expect writing. Like when, when poets turn to prose, it's almost always wonderful the opposite is not necessarily true. Um, but the writing is just really gorgeous. This is quiet and thoughtful. Um, it's a perspective on travel that is very different from my own experiences. And it was, um, just, I think important to understand what other people's experiences of being out in the world are like. Um, travel is so essential to who I am and to the way that I, you know, stay connected to my own, my own life that thinking about, what it would be like if I were black, if I were a mother, if my work depended on being able to travel, but I had to take a child with me and what that sort of complicating factor could be like. She goes hiking and talks about being one of the only people of color that she sees experiencing nature in that way and the long history that has led up to a moment where it's very true that people of color engage with nature and spend less time outside than white people do for lots and lots of very good, but very difficult reasons. Um, It's just a wonderful book. Travelogues by people of color are upsettingly rare um, for just a ton of structural reasons about publishing. So if you have been wanting something about this kind of experience from a writer of color, definitely pick this up. It's A Guidebook to Relative Strangers, Journeys into Race, Motherhood, and History by Camille Dungy.
1: I have that. I need to read it.
0: Oh, the refrain of the reader. Yes,
1: (laughs) it's around here somewhere.
0: It's on my list. Yes. Um, so those are new books, little bit of old books, books that we've loved that are out in paperback now. Little potpourri of a show today. Liberty, what are you going to read next? Well,
1: so this morning I got up to read a new book, and on my way to go get one, I started reading a prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. <laughs> well, that happens. <laughs> I slipped and fell on a prayer for Owen <laughs> Meany right to <into> Owen Meany. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but like when I finished rereading that, because oh, I love that book.
0: I'm probably
1: going to read, uh, I just got Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who Mm -hmm. who wrote The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is fantastic. And Reese Witherspoon just bought the rights to this book. Oh, nice. So, yeah. What are you going to read?
0: I am just starting The State of Affairs by Esther Perel. Um, she's a psychologist. I don't know if she's a psychologist. She's a therapist um, who is famous for working with couples and sexuality. She had a book several years ago called Mating in Captivity that was like groundbreaking and really interesting. And this new book is uh, like it's kind of top level look from her experiences as a therapist and researcher at infidelity and what infidelity means in culture now, what it has meant historically and how that changes as our definitions of marriage and monogamy change. And there it's illustrated with examples of couples that she's seen in her private practice, but also she, like, she's had a couple of viral Ted talks. So people email her their stories and she gives talks regularly at big conferences and conventions to five or 10,000 people. And they walk up to her and they tell her their stories. And it's one of those most taboo things in culture, but also one of the oldest and most consistent things in culture, that as long as we've had a concept of marriage, we've had a concept of infidelity. Or as long as we've had a concept of um, monogamy, we've had a concept of infidelity. And how those things evolve and affect each other, um, how people's experiences of them change as well. And I love that um, she wants to get beyond the notion of like, there's a person who does a wrong and the person who is wronged and applying a lot of judgment to it. She's really trying to understand the experience all the way around, um, of what infidelity is in people's lives, the way that it affects everyone, um, who's involved. It's really fascinating. Don't worry about me. I'm reading this book because it's interesting. <laughs> I like debated about, should I even mention that I'm reading this on the show? Cause I don't want to get like concerned emails. Everything here is fine. I love books like this this um so that's that's what i'm reading and i think i might follow it up with something really happy and fun um i just got a digital galley of the proposal by jasmine Guillory. oh yeah yeah so that seems like the right kind of cadence yeah. <laughs> so that's our show Yay. today show. thank you to our sponsors book riot insiders go to bookriot.com insiders to get a two-week free trial at the novel level and dig into the new release index that liberty curates go to bookriot.com slash recommended three to enter to win 16 books featured on our recommended podcast thank you to Cherry by Nico Walker. You can find that wherever books are sold or click the link in our show notes and to Google Play, get 10 bucks off your first audiobook by going to g.co slash play slash all the books. And if you've got something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you like the show and would like to, you know, give us a little pat, you can do that by leaving
1: a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, I have to get back to a lot of dialogue in all caps so we can let you read. We can let you. <laughs> I, I'm not ready. It's Saturday. I'm not ready for this. It's so early. You can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash allthebooks as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And and in the meantime, time for a nap. <laughs> Happy reading. Happy
0: reading. <laughs>